Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme trains our entrepreneurial lens on opticals. We're focusing on a face furniture founder who once feared wearing glasses, but having overcome those reservations is now on a mission to empower people through great eyewear. There's not only how you feel, it's how other people feel towards you when you're wearing the right glasses. And your whole interaction with other people is completely transformed. Socially, emotionally, in business, it just changes the way that every moment of every day is transacted. And that's a game changer. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Jason Kirk grew up in what you might call an optimal optical environment, surrounded by a family of opticians, spending his Saturdays in the stores, building a deep understanding of the trade. Despite those family credentials, the fashion-conscious young Jason was apprehensive about one day needing glasses himself, concerned at the lack of visual appeal to many designs, worried about what being a specs wearer could seem to say about him. So when he then needed to start wearing glasses, Jason quickly understood the power of bringing great design and style into the process. He was fascinated with how he could innovate the eyewear sector by delivering those qualities, in addition to the best standards of testing, diagnostics and care. And so began Kirk & Kirk, a brand Jason founded with his wife Karen, who's also the designer and creative director. Kirk & Kirk's unique frames are crafted from recyclable Italian acrylic and produced in France. Since launch, Kirk & Kirk's won design awards and gathered a bit of a cult following. Their frames are now sold in 40 countries and they have some exciting new collections on the way. Jason stopped by Midori House and, as a glasses wearer myself, I began by asking if he's inevitably sizing up other people's frames when he first meets them. Well, it's interesting. I'd like to think that I, I don't make judgments, but absolutely I do. <laughs> I'd probably just like everybody else. In the same way that you wear clothing and you can't help but look people up and down and draw conclusions from their clothing, eyewear does the same thing for people as well. And that's really our crusade as well. That's, that's what's really important for me because eyewear offers two things. It offers a medical solution, but it also offers an aesthetic solution. And the aesthetic all too often gets left behind. And part of what Kirk & Kirk is about is making people think about how they can use eyewear to express their personality. And that's why it's so important to us. Do you think it's that sort of underlying commitment to do something that's authentic and that delivers on all those fundamentals that you talked about, actually offering, okay, yeah, great style, but with this medical fix? Is it your adherence to that that's actually, ironically, made your brand particularly popular with various people who are influenced? I mean, maybe you don't like the fact that, well, you must like the fact that, you know, you get celebrity endorsements and stuff, but do you think it's because actually people have a keen sense of the authentic and that's why they're coming, not because they like the branding or they like the message, it's because they like the authenticity and that's what they're really looking for? Well, it's absolutely that. It's the people that are wearing our products are independent. They won't be told what to wear. And that's really, really important. They make their own decisions and they have a unique point of view and they want to express that point of view and their eyewear represents one way, one avenue in which they can express it. And I think it does make a difference. So, you know, there are other people who do that, other brands that do that. But for me personally, I'm the same. I'm the same with my clothing. I'm the same with all of my accessories. I don't wear ostentatious labels. I don't need to hide behind a label. I don't want to hide behind a label. I'll find a shape or a colour or a fabric that reflects who I am or reflects what I want to put across in the particular 
meeting, environment. You know, you imagine you're, you're in a, a business situation, and I hear this so many times. I'm a businessman or I'm in finance. I've got to wear a pair of tortoiseshell glasses. Well, no, you haven't. You've got to wear something that expresses who you are and what you want to say at that particular time. So I can think of serious meetings that I've been to when I wanted to say, well, look, I'm here about the money or I'm here about this particular business transaction. But at the same time, I'm fun to work with. And you can say that through your eyewear and you should say that through your eyewear. Nobody wants to say, I'm boring. Look at me. I've got, I've got no imagination, but I'm wearing these glasses. No, you, nobody's boring when you dig deep. They're not. So get that across through your eyewear. Well, let's talk about the products. Today, a vision in, and I'm going to say green, but what is your in-house reference point for your... Forest green. For, oh, sorry, I was half yeah, right. Yeah, there. Uh, forest green. And they're acrylics, is this correct? Which gives you more options colour-wise. Am I butchering hard for <laughs> scientific <laughs> discoveries you've made? But Because the, the colour palette, I guess, is one of the kind of... Well, you've got several USPs, actually, but that's one of them, isn't it? It's the colour the color range that you use. It is. I think I, maybe I'm going to go back in time a little bit and talk about a bit of the history of our company at this point, because... My grandfather started in optics 100 years ago. So Sydney and Percy Kirk set up a company called Kirk Brothers. And one of the qualities that they had was they were incredibly innovative. So they developed all sorts of lenses. They developed the first adjustable nose pads, if you can imagine that. So before they did that, if your frame didn't fit you, you had to go and get a different frame. I mean, it was they were brilliant. They really changed the way that eyewear worked. And uh, that inspired Karen and I very much in the way that we approach things because we started in optics 30 years ago. And we really wanted to change things to, to fill some gaps that we couldn't see. I mean, we found eyewear to be extremely functional for people. And it mm. was almost a medical necessity. And I didn't meet anybody who was positive about eyewear apart from opticians. You know, everybody was just like, oh, no, I've got to wear glasses. And we wanted to change that. So we came at it from an aesthetic point of view at the beginning as well, because we don't do lenses, but we need to understand how the lenses work with the frame. So we need to understand that part of things, too. But the innovation from Sydney and Percy Kirk inspired us to look at materials. And now we're the only people in the world who hand make frames from acrylic. And it's not just the acrylic that you get on a photo frame or, or the table that you got your coffee cup on. It's a special acrylic that we developed in Italy with a, an acrylic specialist. And we then send our frames to France. They're handmade in one factory. But this acrylic is not only beautiful because we create all our own colours, so you find things you won't find anywhere else. But it's also incredibly light, so it's really, really comfortable to wear all day. So as you can see, I'm wearing a really, what looks like a thick, chunky, heavy-looking frame, but actually it weighs nothing. It weighs far less than the frame that you're wearing. So comfort's really important. Well, that's not, that's not a competition. It's not a competition, <laughs> Jason. Let's keep it, let's keep it friendly. Um, and I guess at what point then in that process where you are talking about these refinements and other innovations, the materials handmade, moving from country to country. Implicit in that discussion is there's cost implication. Was that from the get-go part of your and Karen's thinking that, look, it is a premium product as it should be and that we will find a demographic or different demographics who are willing to, indeed maybe are looking to spend at a higher price point because it is something so important. It is, I always say, it's the only thing that you wear every day, not if you have lots of different options, but were you from the beginning, very relaxed about the idea that you were entering this premium. It's it's not like super crazy premium, but it, sure. it, it's, and it's an expensive product. Was that just, were you, were you fine with that from the outset? Yeah, no problem at all. I mean, we wanted to create a beautiful product that people would want to wear. And it's very interesting the way that people approach eyewear because 
if you start at it from the point of view of I've got to where I wear, let's spend the least that I can spend, which is where a lot of people go with that, it poses a problem. I, I guess my crusade is very much inform people, allow people to understand what it is that they're paying for. They can make their own decision. You know, if you decide you want to go down to the cheapest place and, and spend 50 quid in a pair of glasses, absolutely fine, as long as you know what you're choosing. But we, there's a lot of production integrity in the product. There's a lot of design work. Karen Karen is our own and only designer. So it's not like we're outsourcing stuff. We keep complete control of it ourselves. It starts in one factory. It finishes in the same factory. So we keep quality control. All those things are super important. And we have a discerning audience who make a choice to buy our product. And also they don't, I don't think, they continue to buy our products because they like the brand. They might like the things that the brand stands for. And it's a challenge for us every season or every time that somebody wants to buy a new pair of glasses to compete every time against the wealth of great designers that are out there. So we have to earn the right at least to be looked at. And tell me then about serving your your audience, because you have a base, obviously, in the UK. You've got offices in France, I think, in the United States as well. How conscious are you and, and your team of differing requirements by by market because we often talk on this program of this sort of race the temptation to expand and grow and obviously that's very appealing but you need to do these things in good time you need to walk before you can run and so forth what's that challenge or actually did, did it has it grown fairly organically i think we we looked at markets which were receptive to what we do when we launched kirk and kirk america has always been an, and canada so north america has always been extremely receptive to what we do but the markets have changed and in the 30 years that karen and i have been selling eyewear and introducing eyewear to different countries the markets have really changed so the uk used to be incredibly conservative and very difficult for us to find an audience here right now we have 100 maybe 120 stores that we sell to they're independent stores they're extremely spread out so we managed to keep that selectivity within the product as well but when we look at a new market, we tread carefully. We don't just jump in and appoint a rep or a distributor. Or we take our time. We study the market. It's really interesting with the advent of digital marketing, digital advertising, how you can target people as well and how you can learn about markets and assess what and where is going to be receptive. And there's always an audience everywhere. It's how big that audience is and how much education and information you need to provide to allow that audience into your world. And it's really interesting. I know in the US as well, you guys, you like to root everything through your own sort of centre there to preclude a lot of this faff that comes with import duties and all the rest of it, which speaks to an additional level of thoughtfulness and worry about making your customers' lives easier and better. And that's interesting. I think there are a lot of brands that wouldn't probably take the time to do that. Is that, again, this, this customer focus, this customer-centric approach, presumably pervades every decision that you make, whatever it's about? No question. Absolutely. Uh, we'll dictate what we need to do for the customer. There's no question. But it's only by listening that we're going to mm. find out what that is. And that's a constant evolution as well. I mean, we, you look at things like when people are buying directly. So for me as a customer, buying clothing online, when you look at whether there's a shipping charge or there's a return charge, all those those kind of requirements are changing all the time. And, and the pandemic changed a lot of that, changed the way that people shop. Certainly for optics, it, it changed the way that people discovered eyewear. So you imagine you, you're sitting at home, you're on your sofa, you don't want to leave the house, but you think you might need a new pair of glasses. How do you deal with that? How are you going to try stuff on? What's going to make you go to an optician when you don't want to leave the house, but you know you need to? And so... 
you have to provide the consumer with something really exciting, visually exciting. Before they even touch it, they need to know what that is. So that was a, an evolution that happened with the customer as well. Now, particularly in a, in a post-pandemic world, people are very, very careful about where they spend their money. They're very discerning and they're very demanding. And I won't go out for the same number of meals, but I will have a high expectation when I do go out for a meal I want something of quality. And for me, it's the same in eyewear. You just translate that into the eyewear world. You say, well, you know, I'm looking for something really, really special. That's what we try and do. Tell me a bit about your, I mean, I'm always interested in people's personal choice because you're talking about your, your wardrobe choices. And you said, you know, you have the frames for a specific day or a specific sort of agenda. He's reaching for his bag, listeners. What have you got? How does that, how does that process work? Are you a kind of plan for the day ahead do you wake up like this morning in London, unusually, a bright and sunny day, you were heading in. Did you think, oh, I've got just the thing? Talk us through the options. And you can, we can do a bit of show and tell here, obviously, Jason, as well. Okay. So the way that I, this is, might sound a little bit weird, but go, I wake up please, in the morning. <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I've got my little row of glasses. My, you know, I've, got, I've got more glasses than most people just because I'm very as lucky. You should, yes, as you should. Exactly. And I, I will feel a colour. I will feel a shape. My glasses go on and then I'll make my clothing decisions because the glasses will be the most direct conduit of my mood on that day. So this morning I wanted to come in and I, and I so let's, let's talk from the soul. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, this morning when I was coming in, I was thinking about what to wear because it's, it's a really important decision. This is great to be here on this podcast. I was like, well, I want to show that the eyewear is different, but I don't want it to look ridiculous or like over the top or like trying too hard it's a sincere conversation and it's a great opportunity you know for monocle to be talking about eyewear is a great opportunity for our industry and that's really important for me and for everybody in our industry because it's a chance for people to to really learn and appreciate what eyewear can do for them mm. so i want everyone to wake up in the morning and go you know what i like i've got these pink frames and actually you know i'm wearing black today and that will be something that will be really really special and sometimes i'm in that mood and other times i'm not but it's good to have a choice i mean you don't you don't really wake up feeling the same every day and you don't see the same people every day and you don't have the same goals every day you don't wear the same clothes every day and i know that eyewear is expensive you know that's an important part of this conversation as well it's an investment for people but when you look at your shoe budget or your bag budget, and you think how visible your eyewear is and how much that expresses about you, then it's something that people should should really think about. So again, I go back to what I said before. It's like I'm, you know, I'm not a, a glasses bully, but I do want people to have all the information, all the tools to make the right decision. Well, I find that really interesting, and you've explained your family heritage going back, you know, over you know over a century, and I think that speaks to why you have this investment in talking about the whole industry and not just eyewear as a functional item or as a fashion item or whatever. Do you wear that quite lightly? Because I I'm sort of conscious, and I, I'm doing it a little bit. We're sort of treating you as a spokesman for the nominated spokesman for the whole the whole sector. Or do you like being? Are you are you happy to do that? To talk about the whole the whole business from its origins, the science of it, right through to the the style and your brand. Are you happy because you that's your your passion as I were? You do you mind? You seem to wear it quite lightly talking about it. In um, it's a passion. It's an honour. When Sydney and Percy Kirk started in the nineteen twenties, their business mantra was to help other people set up so that London would become a centre of excellence. So they had their own factory in London and they thought, well, okay, how are we going to make this a better thing? Because the optical industry wasn't 
doing amazing things in those days. And they helped other people set up. And we would look at that now as competition. It's exactly the same thing now. And they didn't. They were like, well, if we can make London fantastic and the UK will become, the UK, but Britain will become a centre of excellence. And that's going to be great for our industry. And that, again, inspires Karen and I as well. Because if eyewear itself can become better, if the whole industry can become better, that's going to help everybody. It's going to help the wearers. It's going to help the brands. It's going to help the opticians. Opticians, certainly in this country, they're not trained to be commercial. They're directed towards franchises, usually. And I'm not in any way denigrating the profession, but it's hard to find a combination of the medical and the commercial together and the design kind of aesthetic as well. And there are some brilliant opticians here, as there are in, in most countries. But the industry needs a better communication. It needs better tools. Very few people, I'm not saying that I do, but very few people understand all the different aspects of that and how that's changing. You know, we just touched on how that's changing, how that's evolving, social media, all those kind of things. Finding uh, stores that understand that the consumer discovers their optician before they walk in the door. I mean, it's obvious, but actually, are people really thinking about that? So, yes, sorry, <laughs> a long answer to your short question, but it's a great honour and it's something that I'm passionate about. Well, tell me about the idea then of Britain as a centre, and I don't want to get bogged down sort of political argument, but it's interesting. You know, your, yours is a business that, you know, great industry in Italy, providing materials, manufacture in France, shipping globally. This is an international story. It's the kind of business at Monocle that we recognise and we like. Last few years, Britain's under a different kind of self-inflicted pressure for reasons that we probably won't go into, uh, Jason. But how conscious are you of that challenge, because you obviously are cosmopolitan, you think internationally, you've got global ambitions, you're serving a global audience that's very connected. And yet, from being that hub of excellence, we're under a different kind of pressure now. Is that a problem in terms of how your business works day to day? So the the new world order, if you like, has, has caused us plenty of new challenges. It was very difficult to prepare for and understand what the implications would be. And I don't think that the implications that we were given before Brexit, there, I've said it. He did say it. Before audience. the B word. I don't think that the implications of what we needed to do and what was likely to happen were in any way understood or made clear. I mean, if anybody, I don't think anybody could have made them clear because I don't think anybody understood. So five years ago, we had a business in the UK and a business in America. We didn't have a business in France. And Brexit necessitated us opening a business in France for lots of different reasons, most of them around duties, tax, the kind of obvious things, but it's some simple transport logistics reasons as well. It's complicated lives, but I think one of the biggest challenges that we've found, because you've, you have to find ways of dealing with the challenges, of those everyday business challenges, but what's harder to deal with is people's attitudes. We found a changing attitude in Europe towards British businesses, which we've had to deal with and kind of take on the chin. And I'm a great pains not to be, listen to this conversation, but I'm a great pains not to be political in any of our communication. I don't think it's, it's relevant. I don't think people really care what I think or, or what our company thinks about that. I don't want to be political, but it's, it's caused us some, some major challenges. But I guess as an entrepreneur, are you of that school that says, look, you know, it is a pressure. doesn't matter where it came from or whether it's political or not in character, but we're a great business. So we may come out even stronger, we have to be adaptable. And actually businesses that can be reactive can tackle these things positively. The kind of the cream rises from these cliches and the businesses ultimately that will survive and thrive are probably the better businesses. Let me talk about what happened immediately Brexit was announced. Uh, we set about communicating 
our story because we knew that immediately the European trade shows were going to be very, very different. So we started communicating differently. Within five days, we had a video done that was communicating what we wanted to say about our brand. The hardest challenges, and this is where I was stumbling before, because the hardest challenges are the intangible challenges, people's attitudes, whether it's a store, a consumer. We were asked some very basic questions when Brexit was happening. Questions like, will we still be able to pay you into a UK bank? There was a a fear, a lack of understanding amongst our European counterparts, clients, prospects, and the UK companies as well, because people just didn't know what to do. We, We tried everything that we could do to educate ourselves. But as you say, Tom, whenever there's a challenge, we just have to rise to it, deal with it, look at how our business is going to evolve. We set up a French company and then we set up a French logistics centre so that everything was distributed, leaves our factory in France, goes to a French logistics centre and goes wherever it's going to go in the world. We had to do that. It's a, it's a massive expense. It's a huge expense. feels incredibly unnecessary on top of where we were five years ago. But that's reality. And that's where we have to be now. So, yeah, you just have to evolve with it. And be decisive. And it sounds like you were and your, your customers are well served as a, as a consequence. Let's talk about engagement with your products in the day-to-day, not when you're just selecting the frames for your mood for the day, uh, Jason. You've got several nice little cases with some... I mean, it's, a, it's an absolute... It's a rainbow of beautiful colour schemes here. But tell me about when you see customers i don't know maybe literally passing someone in the street wearing your frames or observing somebody maybe you're doing a bit of sleuthing in a, in a partner store and you see someone trying them on they're having a great experience does that still give you the kind of thrill that you were getting when you first had products out on the market a couple of decades back what's that like when people are engaging with the products and you can see joyful faces it's absolutely lovely and I, karen and i've been doing this for 30 odd years and if I if I walk down the street and see somebody wearing a pair of our glasses I still get super excited still get a thrill there's a little nudge to Karen with the elbow that's fantastic but what we do we try and stay really really close it's a small family business our clients have great access to to everybody in the company and, and we try and that's the way we're going to learn you know that getting feedback from people is our best opportunity to learn and improve and evolve we do a lot of in-store presentations as well. So for example, a couple of weeks ago, Karen and I were in Montreal looking at the Canadian market. We did two days in two different stores. And each day we had, I don't know, 50, 70 people coming in, talking to us, telling us about their eyewear experience. Some of it good, some of it bad, but we learned so much from doing that. And it's a huge, so when you see somebody's face light up, or when you hear the story about somebody who has their life has changed and i'm not exaggerating I'm like, so many life-changing stories because people have changed their eyewear there's something about kirk and kirk glasses and this is really this is intangible it's very hard to explain and it's not something that we necessarily deliberately designed but when you put them on if you've got the right frame if you've been you feel it you know it's not just the physical because i can show you 50 frames that will look great on you but there's one frame that'll make you feel great and you'll stand two inches taller and you'll smile when you look in that mirror. There's that feeling that makes you, I guess, perform better just to be your best self as the phrase goes now, which I can't believe I said that. But there's not only how you feel, it's how other people feel towards you when you're wearing the right glasses and your whole interaction with other people is completely transformed. And that's a game changer. Socially, emotionally, in business, it just changes the way that Every moment of every day is transacted. It's great. I love it. That's that's a pretty that's pretty good. We've got a highlight clip, people. That's a good one. Um, tell me about uh, in, inspiration because you mentioned obviously Karen's design smarts. 
how do you guys service your own curiosity and that hunger to learn more? You talked about engaging with customers and people who are in the, in the business globally, which speaks for itself. But is it about getting out into the world? Do you have to ensure you make time to go and focus on creative inspiration only with a bit of quiet or contemplation or a bit of escapism? How, how does that process of fueling your sort of creativity, how does that work for the, for the pair of you? So, well, I'm talking for Karen here because she's the, the creative director and the designer. There are two different conflicting challenges going on here because generally speaking, you have to design to a timetable. So you might have trade shows coming up or you need something out for a certain season, but it's very hard to force creativity. So getting out there and saying, right, today I'm going out for inspiration is not always, I mean, it's a good thing to try and do. It doesn't always work. Karen is really inspired by vintage glass. She loves Murano, all sorts of things. And she'll go and research in that area. But I'm sure we the first to say that she might find inspiration in a museum, in a gallery, in a, in a boot fair. It could be absolutely anywhere. But we do love to travel. It's discovery. It's stumbling across an artifact in Japan that you might never have seen had you not been in some tiny fishing village in the middle of nowhere. That's exciting, that's inspiring, that makes you think in a different way. Getting out and putting yourself in places where you're not necessarily comfortable because that changes the way you think. Mm. Well, escaping that comfort zone. So yeah. so many great ideas and flashes of inspiration come from that. A final thought, uh, Jason, on what are you most excited about? What's coming up? You can throw in some little monocle exclusive tidbits of information for us if you want or you can talk in in generalities is it always you know next trade fair what do you have your eyes on is it new markets new products i guess we're sort of a bit between seasons at the moment what's uh, what do we need to look out for well the eyewear seasons aren't really spring summer um like they are in, in the fashion world and we tend to be dictated to a little bit by the trade shows and major trade show in in paris in the autumn we just missed a great trade show in new york in march those are important calendar moments but at the same time, you have to kind of think about consumer needs as well. So it doesn't always work like that. I can tell you about our new sunglass collection if you promise not to tell anybody. Keep I, it... Well, there will be people <laughs> eavesdropping, Jason. That's the can caveat you keep it I'll between offer. us? So um, next year, we have a, a very exciting sunglass collection coming out. So we do sunglasses right now, but we have something coming out which is unique, different to anything at all that, that's out there. And our goal is always to provide something individual that will that will make people feel that they... They have something really special, something they can't find anywhere else. And again, I keep going back to this phrase, but it's an opportunity to express themselves. And that's really interesting for us as a company because up until now, our main channel by a long, long way has has been selling to independent opticians. And with this new sunglass collection, we're going to be talking to high-end fashion, department stores, boutiques, really selectively. It's not going to be out everywhere, but it's going to be a kind of a discovery for people in, in the same way that our optical eyewear is now. That was Jason Kirk, the co-founder and managing director of Kirk & Kirk. And you can learn more about the brand at kirkandkirk.com. And that's all for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out for Eureka coming your way each Friday. The Entrepreneurs was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. That's where you can also subscribe to Monocle magazine for more about better businesses every month. You can follow us and catch up with the archive 
at the website or via your preferred podcast platform. If you want to get in touch with the Entrepreneurs team, you can do so. Email Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye, and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs.